0: Welcome back to the Workbold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions, space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and this episode is a little bit different. We're usually laser focused on the office sector, but I've asked residential property developer and former Gensler architect, Martin Prince-Parent to join me today. The lines between work and life have long been blurred, and in the current pandemic, millions, maybe billions of people are working from home right now. This will have a long-term effect on the office, and we'll see a blurring of the lines between work and home. Martin shares his insights into how the world of residential real estate is responding, insights that I believe those of us in the office sector can recognize parallels if we pay attention. Get ready for a new hashtag because Martin believes we're going to see the rise of Resi or hashtag ResiMershall, which is a space as a service solution that's a blend of work and home where people join like a gym with the flexibility to move from city to city within the network and access with their mobile phone. Now that the suspense has you on the edge of your seat, let's get episode nine started. Welcome back to the Word Bold Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm chatting with award-winning architect turned property developer, Martin Prince-Parrott. Now, Martin is a design manager and project coordinator for Black Swan Property, a Birmingham-based mixed-use property developer, and that's Birmingham, England, not Birmingham, Alabama. As part of Black Swan, Martin leads the firm's design teams and ensures that each project results in buildings and places which are attractive, efficient, and sustainable. Alongside this, Martin is also an advocate for healthier cities, diversity and inclusion, and sustainability. Now, much has been made about the impact that work from home has had and will have on commercial real estate. However, not much has been said about how resi real estate will also need to adjust to accommodate this seismic shift in work-life focus. Now, as you know, this podcast focuses on space as a service, and today we've discussed its impact on commercial real estate, and we'll continue to do that. But as the line between working in an office and at home blurs, it's also important for us to ask what this could mean for existing and emerging residential assets. So, Martin, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Caleb, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Thank you for being here. So, Martin, could you tell us a little bit about Black Swan and the assets you focus on?
1: So, Black Swan are a Birmingham based property developer. We operate predominantly in Birmingham, but also in the West Midlands more broadly. The sort of assets we focus on are residential-led, mixed-use, real community building and placemaking. We like to reposition first because we think that existing buildings have a character and a value which is priceless. And they do a lot to ground developments in the community and in the place um, that they are. But we also really like doing new build as well, if that's called for. I guess our USP, if I was to say one, is that, you know, we're very agile. And we're very creative. We like to have a golden thread which runs through everything from the moment we're looking at site acquisition all the way through to concept and design, all the way through to marketing and ultimately sales. And we think that that gives our developments a, a natural composure when it comes to the story and ultimately story is what matters when it comes to understanding or, or selling anything.
0: So Right now, we're in th- the whole world is under this massive work- working from home experiment. Overnight, you know, you've, you've heard me say this on previous podcasts, overnight, companies have had to figure out how to be productive working from home. But more importantly, people have had to figure out how to be productive working from home.
1: Yeah. And
0: so what are you seeing? How is this affecting the residential space? What sort of conversations is happening in response to this?
1: I think there are a lot of interesting conversations actually. I was having a conversation recently with a colleague. The way we articulated it is that effectively the the center of gravity from people's lives has shifted. It shifted from from work and it shifted from the central business districts in our major cities to their homes. And with that, if you're familiar with gravity or even basic physics, you'll know that the field around the center of gravity shifts alongside it. So I guess by that, I mean, your waking hours are spent at home for the most part. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, you will naturally start to pay a lot more attention to where you live, not just the configuration size, maybe even ceiling height within your home, but also the homes on either side of you and then the context in which they sit. So proximity to a high street, proximity to green space, level of safety, level of noise, of the pollution, ease of transport, et cetera, et cetera. It starts to really mount up. You start to become aware of how your home functions in terms of what you need. And effectively, the way your community was whilst you were at work, and I think now you're spending more time there, people are naturally more interested in optimizing that, not just for productivity, but also for pleasure. I'd argue, I think we saw recently there was the one com- one kilometre long line outside of Ikea. And on the face of it, it seems like absolute madness. Why would people queue up in a one kilometre long line in the baking hot sun to go to Ikea? It starts to make more sense if you think about what they're seeking to get from Ikea, which I would imagine is probably uh, furniture, storage, plants, things which would allow them at a decent price to make where they live probably more comfortable. And I think that really speaks to the emphasis that I think people will probably be putting on their homes.
0: Can I, can I just forth. ask? Can I just ask on that, Martin? This one, sure. one kilometer queue or line outside of IKEA. Mm. This was this was because they had queues out of every store right now because of social distancing, or is it prior to lockdown?
1: So that queue was on the news probably over the last few days. And it was because IKEA had opened its doors for the first time since lockdown.
0: Okay, and so your mm. speculation is that because people are now working from home and, mm-hmm. and having to work from home, they're mm-hmm. putting more focus, more emphasis on the comfort of their home. So they're running the IKEA as soon as they can to go ahead yep. and make their home more comfortable.
1: Yeah, I, I, I know. I've done it in my in my home. I I I bought plants. I bought uh, a screen. I bought new chairs. So it, it seems like a natural response, and it's probably been something of a of a pent-up response the desire to do that has probably been there ever since lockdown started
0: because and that sort of thing is taking care of them and at, at, when they go into the office the the biophilia is there they've got also. nice comfortable chairs but at home you don't necessarily do that because you're not yeah. there for work usually
1: i mean if they were lucky enough to work in a in a work bold flex work location I think <laughs> they would almost certainly get those things
0: i'll send you a fiver later
1: <laughs> cheers cheers i appreciate it yeah, so they they would almost certainly do those things. I mean, it even goes as far as printers, for example, stationery. Really the way that the home is functioning now is that it is effectively a, a makeshift makeshift office.
0: So so then presumably that if if you're a renter and you don't own your home, you're renting from a landlord or a mm-hmm. company, that sort of puts more pressure potentially on the landlord to well, would it put more pressure, I should say. I'm gonna form mm. that as a question. More pressure on the landlord?
1: It really depends on the kind of landlord you're talking about. So if it's a, a HMO, so a house of multiple occupancy, and you're you're renting a room in that house, there isn't really anything to suggest that the landlord should provide you with any means to work. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that going forward that landlords will be seeking to distinguish their their homes by making the case that they they do indeed provide the space for you to work comfortably from home and if and when you need to so i think that there'll probably be a latent reaction in the market in terms of how landlords behave but i know that black swan are taking it quite seriously now in the way we're conceiving of our developments
0: well typically particularly in the uk in in in, i'm going to be very broad here and in really only use my experience and some of the friends that I've spoken to and colleagues, but the experience in r- trying to find a place to rent has been, an, in general, a negative experience. Yeah. And and then once you find that place to rent, dealing with the landlord or the la- agent that represents the landlord has also been a negative experience. And do you think residential real estate can, can learn from sort of the shift that's going on in commercial real estate of moving that building from product to service?
1: Almost certainly. Yeah. I mean, that is part of the problem that build to rent solves. And it's almost certainly part of the problem that co-living solves as well. So a bit of a background, a lot of landlords or the I think I believe the majority of landlords in the British PRS sector are not to be ungenerous, are amateur landlords. Um, Martin, just, they,
0: so, sorry, I just want to stop you real quick and apologies, but the majority of our listeners are in real estate, but there are a few people who are, are either new to real estate. Or, could you explain sure. the, the BTR and the PRS acronym?
1: Sure. Yeah, I apologize. So built-to-rent uh, or BTR is, in simple terms, is when one organization develops quite often a, a relatively large scheme of apartments and they run all of those apartments. So they are the landlord for that entire development, much in the same way that you would have a conventional landlord for offices or commercial real estate or a conventional landlord for, if you wanted to rent a room, they just, they do the same thing, but on a much larger scale. So the perks and the agreements are are relatively similar, but the level of expectation and generally the level of product is higher and that's why it's preferred. So for example, if you were to take an apartment in a build-to-rent development, the build-to-rent operator, landlord, would be responsible for if your shower stops working or if your boiler stops working, much in the same way as if you were renting in the PRS, which is the private rental sector more broadly. So the terms are the same, the experience should be better. And I would argue that that's one of the ways that space as a service, and moving real estate from product to service is manifesting itself in residential.
0: So Martin, I want to dive a little bit deeper into this. So when we talk about space as a service in residential real estate, how is that similar in your opinion to space as a service in commercial real estate?
1: So the best thing to do is probably look at the, the I would argue, the, the most full expression of space as a service in uh, residential real estate, which is co-living. So the way that co-living is similar to space service in commercial real estate is it's got the hallmarks. So it's got an emphasis on brand and everything associated with brand from values to relationships with clients, users, tenants, however you want to refer to them. It's offer is much more, or it's a coupling between So the the way I I, I often frame these two things, and if you know me, you'll be familiar with this analogy, maybe it's overused, but it works. So (laughs) so so space as a service is is the union between the hardware and the software. The hardware will be the real asset that you're working with. So if it's commercial, it's the it's the floor plates, it's the lift core and it's the it's the lobby. And then you've got the software aspect. So the software, which is sometimes literal software. In the, in the form of prop tech or apps quite often it is the service so concierge service communication with the maintenance team ordering in food it can take a whole host of forms but it's effectively the way that you interface with the organization which then in turn also interfaces with with the building so you see that really comfortably in uh, commercial real estate and you see it in co-living as well so in co-living you'd have uh concierge similar to the way you'd have for a large office building and they would probably look after you you've got events the development of community through those events and then you've also got an emphasis on the experience so you'll have focus on the quality of your onboarding experience the quality of response to any queries or complaints that you might have and if you're smart probably your offboarding experience if it ever comes to that so there are lots of similarities there i'd say where they differ is or perhaps where they used to differ was at the point in the day that you would interface with either of them whereas before it used to be that you know if you had space as a service at your workplace then you would spend most of your working hours there uh waking hours there and 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 that would be what you interfaced with and you would probably interface with with your building and your co-living development when you returned home, whereas now people are working from home, they're probably spending a lot more time there.
0: So in the space as a service world, in commercial real estate, you have a brand that you're engaging mm-hmm. with, that handles all your needs, provides hospitality to you. In the co-living sector, where space as a service has the opportunity to come in to Resi, instead of dealing with a landlord once a year, you're dealing with the brand who's providing a certain experience for you.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's that's effectively the way it works. I would would argue that space and service is probably more pertinent in residential for two reasons. One, in commercial real estate, it will be the decision makers of the corporate client that you would need to please as a commercial landlord in the residential space. It's a lot more personal. You're talking about where people live um, and by extension, what that means for their personal identity. Their personal level of safety, and ultimately, when they're at home, is when they're most vulnerable. So, it's it's probably a much more emotional space than than the commercial or workspaces.
0: That's an interesting point you make because I think historically, commercial real estate's been very B 2 B, business to business driven, dealing with CFOs and looking at numbers. Yeah. Whereas there has been a more a much stronger emphasis on an an emotional decision help getting the team to be able to be part of the process of deciding where to go. Yeah. So I, I would argue that the B2C, the business-to-consumer decision-making and, and experience of spaces as a service in, in co-living, and should be the same sort of experience in commercial real estate as well. So that brings me back to your point about brand. Why mm-hmm. is brand so important?
1: I mean brand isn't any more important in real estate than it is in any other walk of life brand is basically operates as a proxy for values and quality of service and or experience so it may not be seen as particularly important now but as more and more players enter the built to rent uh co-living market you may have experiences that you like which leads to brand loyalty or you may have experiences which you don't like which leads to dissatisfaction and you seeking out other brands but when you are able to establish a strong brand then you're able to effectively communicate to someone who perhaps has stayed with you before that that they can take that risk again because as i said you know where you live is is really quite important to your sense of well-being but also to your your sense of identity. And so if you have a positive experience, you're much more likely to stay with that brand. And I would argue that's part of the value proposition for people looking to invest in, in co-living as a, as an asset class within
0: real estate. So in the co-living world, if a real estate investor is looking in to make those sort of investments, and I, I want to maybe even drill drill you on Black Swan, what what are you guys doing in the co-living space? Are, are you are Mm -hmm. you currently are you currently developing co-living schemes designing what's happening for for black swan
1: so i think it's probably it's 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 reasonable to say that i'm not an expert on co-living i would argue it's so new uh that there are a few of them but black swan we are looking at co-living and we're quite excited by by what we've learned and what we've seen and it's teaching us a lot about what it means to be a developer of the future our current feeling now is that the co-living offer could probably be bettered as an experience with my space as a service hat on. Um,
0: well, let, let's dive into that now. Okay. Okay, sure. So what do you what do you see the current co living stack looking like in terms of the different what what does the experience look like in the existing co living operations out there that, that you've looked into? Yeah. And then what how could they be bettered?
1: So I'm not in the business of making enemies,
0: but but this oh, is a, this is the work bold podcast. So, oh, so sure, it, it's sure yeah. So like, you, I, know, you don't have to call out names, but you can. Yeah.
1: So there's a few people that we that we think are really making a positive contribution in the co living space. I think Commons excellent. A star City seem really strong, really brilliant. UK side, we think the collective, of course, you know, pioneers in their own right. Gravity Co Living are doing really exciting things. I think they've expanded into Germany. And Mason Fifth, and I think Mason and Fifth, perhaps newer, but their focus on health and well-being is, I really think, is is bang on in terms of what the market's looking for, and also is inherently positive. I mean, the the reports which came out recently about the changing attitude that lenders are having to ESG, so ESGs, environmental, social, and governance-led development and development, future seeking to make a positive contribution in those areas. So I think having a co-living brand focused on health and well-being just makes perfect sense in the current marketplace. The right co-living stack is, you know, based on our research, is made of a few constituent parts. So you've got your, you know, beautiful, wonderful rooms. There isn't really a, a perfect model in terms of the rooms, and and but at the minimum, they should be en suite. And with lots of storage. I think that will be positive. I haven't seen too much of that in, in a lot of co-living schemes, but I think that will be positive. After that, you're looking at community support. So that will come in the form of a concierge community manager who will be arranging events and controlling comms and making sure that the community is built. And then quite often there's a technological application or platform that's used to Reinforce the connections digitally between members of the development, but you know, if you're multi-sited, then it also allows for you to develop an ecosystem between within development, between developments. And then I would argue if you're smart, you'd seek to do the same thing with other B2B relationships within the locality so that the co-living aspect, isn't just what's going on inside your building. It's also what's going on inside your community more widely. I think where I think Black Swan, interested in focusing on, is really the last point I just said. So the community being not just what happens within the building, but what happens outside the building as well. How do you, how do you use this concentration of like-minded people who are really excited about life and um, really excited about being part of a community, and how do you share that around local businesses, local charities? Local cultural institutions, whether it be theatres or 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 bands or bars or, you know, it's just once you start to think of it more as a networker, whether it's hub and spoke or something like that, it really becomes exciting. I, I think that the resort model that we see quite often, where everything's concentrated in one place, I think it has its limitations. But, you know, it's early days, so 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 we'll see which which one is is most advantageous and which one works best for which brands. Sometimes there can be mismatch between locations. There can be mismatch between brands. Sometimes there can just be mismatches in terms of time in the market. So some ideas are excellent, but they aren't. They haven't arrived at a time when the market receptive to them. So that's always a shame. But but yeah, we'll see. We'll see where i would say there is a gap is uh, and this isn't talking about any operator in particular is in the cohesiveness is the alignment between the asset and the software so quite often from what i've seen of other operators not necessarily the ones i've i've mentioned the rooms don't feel like the brand the comp communal spaces don't feel like the brand the conception of the buildings and their separation out doesn't feel like the brand and the reason i feel like we could we could probably take a really good swing at it is because we've got a, you know, a beautiful mix of, of skills in our team and not to blow my own trumpet, but my background as, as an architect and as someone who is, who was trained in how to take a concept uh, and particular values and give them form and meaning and space in a way that still is true to what's being, what you're trying to communicate. As well as what you're trying to encourage other people to feel and experience is probably one of the ways that we could probably differentiate our product i'm pretty confident about that
0: so you and i had a conversation before this podcast a little bit about this and you made a point of how a brand that is really trying to attract extroverts would design their asset and design the various spaces certain Mm. ways and my question to you was then what happens to the introverts. And can, can you sort of explain what you mean by how they would design the space for, for extroverts?
1: So it's probably less about extroverts. So, so with brand comes the segmentation process of marketing. So the more you're able to align your brand to the people you're specifically trying to target, who will really get the most the really get the most out of staying with you or experiencing what you have to offer as a company or a brand, the The more solid that your, your foundation will be in the market because those people will not only become patrons, but they quite often become advocates. And because we're in this world where there are so many brands, when you're able to find one that's not just has great values, but whose values align with yours, then, you know, you're more likely to shout about it. And for all of the marketing and all of the market research that's taken place, very few things are as effective for any brand or any business as word of mouth, whether it be positive or negative. And so that's really what you're you're seeking to aim for. You're seeking to try and give the best experience to the people who will appreciate it the most, in the hope that they that they they're so passionate about it or 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 have such a good time that that they want to tell others who are similarly inclined. And I think that's probably the, the wisest thing you can do.
0: Well I think another thing that's uh, interesting on how co-living spaces are branding themselves is the network effect. And sure. when and it's very similar to you know how in spaces a service world and commercial real estate you have operators that have multiple locations, they create a network effect and members effectively can go from one location to another. Mm-hmm. And this is the same with anything. You know what to expect. If you go to, from one hotel to another, you know what to expect based on the brand sure. values. Mm-hmm. And so, do you? Th- this is this is a novel concept, I think, for living because typically you li- you go home to the same place every day sure. um, for your lease term. But I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in the co living world, the ability to move within the network mm-hmm. is, is a usp yes yeah i mean i
1: i it's it's one of the things that really differentiates that really differentiates co-living as a proposition the fact that you can if you're if you're perhaps earlier on in your career and you say for example you work for an insurance company and there's you know you know you've been there but it, it, it and you're in london and it might not be working for you or or you feel the need to be closer to your family and they're from the midlands or they're or they're up north there isn't really if you have a distributed network of of sites in all of those major cities there isn't really a reason for you to not be able to speak to the operator or the brand and basically say you know when when a spot comes up in one of these other sites, it'll be great if I can take that and you just transfer transfer over my my details. And I would argue if that brand is clever, they will help with the storage and/or move all of that person's personal possessions to the new location, so that it's as seamless and frictionless for them as possible. Because that's ultimately what you want to do as a brand: you want to reduce as much friction between what your member guest tenant wants and needs, and that you're able to give it to them with as little hassle and as little friction as possible.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's, if we look at the successful fast growing companies in in all sectors right now, the companies that are the the most successful are the ones who are moving the most friction. Yep. Okay. So that, I want to go back to the work from home again. This is where we started. So you say that, because more people are working from home right now over the last couple of months with the lockdowns, that they mm-hmm. put more emphasis on, on their living conditions, and that sort of drives the need for better experiences. But the other aspect of, of that is now – and this goes back into the experience – but if we're spending more time working from home, and maybe this is going to be something long-term, a lot of people are speculating, but obviously Twitter, there's some big companies that have now said that their people don't have to come back into Absolutely. the office. Yep. So if that's the case, if that's the case, what sort of work from home experience should be included in the co living stack? Sure.
1: So that can really happen in two ways, and then there are some ways. There are sub. There are sub ways that that can happen underneath that. So if you start with the room, I think it's probably reasonable to think that people joining new co living developments are going to be expecting their within their room to for there to be a place where they can work. But what that ultimately means is that the configurations of these rooms, or at least the furniture, the furniture spec for these rooms um, will need to be adapted to allow for that to happen. And I think that's important for two reasons because one, in terms of sanitation, you may not always want to go to a communal space to work. You may want to be able to do focused work and if you can do that focused work in your room, I think that's that's a real advantage. So once you deal out of the room, then you deal with the what might be the communal workspace or co-working space. And the way that's realized really can take on any number of forms. So you're it kind of sits on a gradient. So you can kind of go from effectively tables, chairs, Wi-Fi all the way up to a fit well accredited wired scored space with super fast broad- broadband and screens and ergonomic chairs. And it's, you know, it's the full bells and whistles commercial office spec. How that's delivered is interesting. So if you want to do it as a brand internally, I suspect you'll probably go for the first, the first order of spec, which will be relatively light touch. So table, chairs, fi that sort of thing, but in a really well designed attractive space. If you wanted to go for the more high spec, it would probably be smart to partner with a co-working firm such as you know, Work Bold or anyone else in the market. And the reason why I think that would be important is and what we've experienced looking into co-living is that there are so many skill sets required, particularly if you're passionate and serious about delivering a space as a service solutions. There are so many different mindsets required, whether it's from hospitality to asset management to interior design even anthropology and psychology there are so many different mindsets and you can become overstretched and if you really want to deliver the best experience possible it may be smart to partner with someone who knows what they're doing how you arrange that you know is ultimately ultimately up to the brand and perhaps what's right for that site it could be a partnership agreement between the two or it could be the form of a you know an old school shell and core provided and then you lease that space to to the flex operator and they they take control of that thing so there are lots of ways that co-living co-working can exist all the way from the micro in the room to the macro being the the work hub or the communal co-working space it ultimately depends on the skill set and the expectations that you're trying to meet as an experience
0: so there are some Co-living operators. I've been doing some research on this, and you know, and obviously there's been some in the news and so forth. But they're, the co-living operators that have a a living aspect, a common areas for amenity space, and you know, f- physical and mental well-being. But
1: then mm-hmm. there's
0: also the workspace areas, a, a bit of co-working, so to speak, and they they operate that themselves. And I think what you're suggesting here is potentially for some co-living operators that focus on the Living aspect, partnering mm-hmm. with whether that be a lease or something else, partnering sure. with existing operators—is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, I, existing I, I operators to... of workspace. Yeah, that there is. There's the scope there because it really depends on where, uh, at what level you want the that workspace to operate at, and then also in terms of you know how much space and how your brand is set up. But the way I understand it is, it, you basically go from providing Wi-Fi chairs and a desk to providing a fully this is going full space as a service fully air-conditioned buckable space with meeting rooms perhaps screens are provided ergonomic chairs and a design of a space which is geared towards productivity it really depends that the, the the range there and the opportunity to do something is is quite broad and like i said it can go from tables and furniture with some Wi-Fi, to a, something which is a fully commercial spec office. Obviously, there are cost implications depending on which way you'd want to cut it and which, which way you'd want to execute that strategy. But
0: So you mentioned earlier Common. Just having a look at their website, you've got... Different cities, of course, uh, would be adjusted for the market you're in. So it could be in Chicago. We'll talk about United States here for a second. Chicago, at $975 sure. a month to Washington, D.C., 1425 a month, so $1,425 a month. Mm-hmm. And included in that rent, you get your furnished home with a private room. So I guess it's a one-bedroom. You okay. get high-speed Wi-Fi. Your utilities are included. Cleanings included each week. Yep. Free, free on-site laundry, detergent, free household essentials like toilet paper, stock kitchens with pots and pans co-working and community lounges Mm -hmm. free community events exclusive discounts and purchasing all connected with the common app so it's it sounds like it's a combination of your flat where you would live Mm -hmm. uh, with Mm -hmm. a hotel and with a co-working space all wrapped in together you know you just pay one monthly fee for so why should, what, what, in your opinion, and, and maybe I'll even go back to Black Swan, but in your opinion, mm-hmm. Common doing this themselves. Why should a co-living operator outsource or partner with, an, with someone else to come in and run that versus doing it themselves? And, and what what is Black Swan planning to do within the co-living space?
1: I mean, as far as Black Swan is concerned, we're still investigating. But the reason why a co-living operator may partner with a co-working operator really depends on what their capacity is as a company in-house and then also the level of the co-working experience they want to provide that's that's effectively it if you i think it's sometimes important to especially in spaces as a service to appreciate the, the different mindsets required to provide the different levels of service and the different aspects of service as i said if if for co-working by that you mean bench seating with powerpoints at convenient locations and wi-fi then that's not particularly difficult but as people's expectations may increase it really depends on also you know what your brand is doing but as people's expectations increase in terms of their work experience they may not be they may not be happy to compromise when it comes to their work experience if they're working from home or they're working from your co-living site so if if at their building there's been a full embracing of space as a service by the landlord and by extension their employer, and they're able to go into their workspace and they're able to book a space, they've got a screen there, they've got a chair there, they've got um, a screen on the wall or at convenient locations telling them the quality of the the quality of the air in their space, and at work they're they're in either a well-accredited space or a fit well-accredited space and then when they come home to work from home for the day the quality of the air isn't as good or the uh, broadband isn't connection isn't as fast or there are issues with servers you know any any number of things then that will start to hamper their experience and so your goal as a as an operator in the space as a service space is to provide spaces which meet the expectations of your, your tenant or, or your client, however you want to refer to them. And if you realize that you don't have those skills or that experience in house as an operator, then, you know, there's much worse you can do than speak to someone who is a specialist in that thing. And the reason it's important to do that probably quite early on, depending on the scheme is because there are a whole raft of decisions which may need to be made on the asset side. So for example, duct work chillers fire escapes what's known as small power they fall on the hardware side so you need to make those decisions early and you need to realize how that sits as a strategy for the experience you envision for your users your clients
0: so in commercial real estate space as a service uh, it's all about understanding your customer it's all about understanding what they like what they don't like improving the experience for them in delivering the experience that, that they really want. So how can that be done in co-living?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, it's important to identify that when you become a, a landlord in the same way that commercial landlords are, rather than developing an asset for sale, you're really part of the process. And by being part of the process and part of that entire experience, you're able to fine tune and learn precisely what your member guest tenant client likes wants and needs which is quite a game changer because within the development space it's not that common for developers whether they have a a, an operational arm or asset management arm or their or they keep that in-house with the development function to really try and gain and interpret the data that they're able to get from their users by being in a relationship with them for extended period. And that can be anything from fine tuning the spec of the mattresses that you use to how frequently a space is cleaned to whether whether one of the complaints that is common across uh, all your users is that they don't feel as if there's enough daylight or the, the air quality is isn't really up to snuff in the co-working space. There, 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 There's all sorts of information which allows you to not only as much as possible, fine tune the development in real time so it gets better from when it opens to um, when it's fully, fully occupied. And then to be able to take that wisdom and that intelligence and apply it to the next project. It would be incredibly disappointing if every scheme that a co-living operator turns their hand to looks and feels exactly the same. They should really be getting better every single time. And ultimately, the offers should be getting better and changing. And so whilst we're in the early stages of, of co-living as an asset class, I think as time moves on, you'll start to see much more differentiation between the brands because their users will have given them different information and they would have absorbed that information and started trying to reflect those needs, those wants, those requirements in their offer, in their buildings and in the places and communities that they make.
0: So Martin, what do you think that residential real estate can learn from commercial real estate when it comes to space as a service?
1: So what I think we're going to see in the future is the rise of commercial People moving within curated spaces which stretch all the way from, from when they wake up in the morning and where they live to where they work and ultimately where they play as well. There's going to be a combination of all of those experiences and spaces and people will be able to access them seamlessly and frictionlessly through their phones at their convenience.
0: I love it, Martin. A new hashtag, Rezzy Marshall. That's a great prediction and I hope you're right. Well, Martin, now it's time for the quick fire round. You've listened to my podcast. You know what this is about. So I'm just going to dive right in so in our industry what sort of podcast books do you read and websites do you go to
1: so podcasts the Workboard podcast i think is super important as a resource and has really really top tier top tier guests of which i'm i feel privileged to to be a part of and the other one which i think is super interesting is the pivot podcast with kara swisher and uh, professor scott galloway and the reason i think that that their podcast is really good is because they quite often talk about tech companies and in some ways, everything is becoming a tech company and getting a an insight into how they work, how they think and how they're looking to change the world and finance that changing of the world is a great insight into where we may be going as a as a sector within real estate.
0: So who in commercial real estate or real estate, I should say, inspires you?
1: Uh, Anthony Slums and Drupalik, um from a commercial real estate perspective are definitely big inspirations to me. I think they're leading the way in terms of thought. That's super important. More broadly, I think in the boat environment are my two mentors, Alex Notay, who is director at PFP Capital, and Deborah Cabman, who is chief exec of the West Midlands Combined Authority. They combine kindness and leadership in a way that I think is rarely seen in society at large, but I think is really important in the boat environment in real estate.
0: Well, last question for you, Martin, and once we come out of lockdown and we're able to travel again, hopefully soon, yes. where is your favorite holiday destination?
1: I have to say my favorite holiday destination so far has been Lindos in Greece.
0: I have not heard of Lindos. Where, is, where in Greece is this?
1: So it's a small island. I'm not sure exactly where in Greece. It's Greece. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a small island, but it's it's absolutely beautiful. It, you know, blue seas, white sands, everything that you want. I think it holds a special place in my heart because it was where we went for our for our, our honeymoon.
0: Oh, and congratulations. You just celebrated your second anniversary, didn't you?
1: Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah. Even though we're, we're stuck at home together, we're um, we're still getting on. So that's I think well, that, that bodes well.
0: That That's great to hear. <laughs> well, Martin, I really appreciate you coming on. One of the things that I like about talking to you is you, you know you are a deep thinker and you, you know when we met at waterloo station much different than yes. meeting virtually now but we met at waterloo station and had yeah. that, that coffee it was just fantastic to so refreshing to hear you uh talk about the industry and the way you do and the way you think so thank you for coming on and sharing uh your insights today really appreciate That's too it kind
1: thanks a lot oh, for your time Caleb I appreciate it. and
0: for everyone listening today uh thank you for coming on and uh make sure until next time to take care of yourself Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com.
1: You're listening to a Podcast Company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at PodcastSyndicator.com or Brett at PodcastSyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.